0: Before we hop into today's episode, I just wanted to let you know that today's episode is also available as a video podcast. If you prefer watching interviews rather than listening to them, then feel free to head to the link in the show notes below, or you can just hop onto YouTube and search for my YouTube channel. It's called Betty Grew Up, that's B-E-T-I Grew Up on YouTube, and you'll be able to find the full video podcast linked there. Welcome to Is It Worth It? The Self-Worth Podcast, where we explore how different areas of our life affect our self-worth and how to build and maintain our sense of self-worth my name is roshni and i am a self-worth life coach i help my clients discover their worth so they can stop holding back and start taking control of their lives full force you can find my other free content under the name beti grew up that's b-e-t-i grew up on instagram and youtube and you can sign up for my free newsletter at betigrewup.com hope you enjoy the episode Hello, everyone. Welcome to a new podcast. I'm here with Amy McMillan, who I met recently. I'm online and she is an author, wrote this incredible book. She's a facilitator. She does breath work and just has so many interesting stories and such an interesting perspective on life. And so um, we're on today to talk about her book, Reclaiming Control, and about just kind of understanding the American dream and uncoupling ourselves from that as immigrants, especially. And I just loved so many of the themes in the book, so I can't wait to dig into it. Um, but did you want to add anything on to your introduction?
1: No, honestly, I think you hit the main points, Roshni. Thank you so much for having me here. Uh, it's been so wonderful connecting with you over the last couple of months. And yeah, I'm just really excited for this conversation. <laughs>
0: Yeah, same, thank you again for hopping on. Um, so I guess we'll just jump right into it. Um, with the first chapter of the book, Plastic Ponies, you talk about just feeling stuck and feeling isolated in the corporate world. And um, you, was there like a specific moment leading up to that that you were just like, you kind of snapped and were like, this isn't for me? Or was it just like that slow ongoing buildup process and you were just kind of like, I don't even recognize how I got here?
1: Mm. it was more so the latter it was more so this slow burning realization and I think I wanted to have some sort of snap moment and maybe it all did kind of culminate into that moment of yes I'm gonna do this when I was in Costa Rica as I write about Uh, but honestly like I didn't really see myself growing or climbing up that corporate ladder really realistically. I think I really tried to put myself there. I really tried to, you know, fake it till you make it and see if I could, you know, just try it out for a couple years since I saw everyone else in my immediate circles doing that. And I just couldn't do it anymore. I don't think I could truly fake it because internally I just wasn't there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So it was just kind of like that self-awareness of knowing, like, I'm not present here. I'm not enjoying this. Like, it was that those little pieces and kind of like that building up over time that just made you kind of... So like, did you have that moment, like, where you were like, this isn't for me? And was that the Plastic Ponies moment?
1: So I feel like I've had those moments for so long, and I just kept on repressing them. I kept on pushing them down. I kept on not giving them the attention that it deserved because I I was either scared or uncomfortable or didn't really want to face that truth. So I kept on having these moments of self-awareness because I've been journaling for a long time and practicing self-awareness and mindfulness and other practices for a really long time. But I never truly... I guess aligned myself with what I knew to be true in my self awareness and my actual actions in reality. That alignment just was not there. So, finally, maybe that snap moment, if we can call it that, is is when I finally aligned my actions in reality to those moments of self awareness.
0: Ooh, I um, love
1: that. Yeah. So self-awareness isn't enough, obviously. Like we have to follow it with action and alignment in -hmm. our end as well.
0: A hundred percent. Like that action is such an important piece of it. And um, I actually wanted to talk about that. So you wrote this line where you said, "Um, what I don't tell her is that I'm not taking a short-term journey to find myself. I decided to take a long-term journey to create myself. So can you talk a little Mm -hmm. bit about the difference and like how how it feels to you?
1: Yeah so this is just for a little bit of context in response to a coworker saying that I'm going on my eat-pray-love journey which I think is funny <laughs> just because it was kind of like I was going on my eat-pray-love journey oh you're, like your Amy's going off to find herself and discover herself and I say this distinction between finding and creating because I don't think our passion or our self or what we're meant to do is out there just waiting to be like plopped on <laughs> or like waiting to uh, waiting to happen, waiting to discover. Uh, I truly do think that we have the capability to experiment with different things and to try to create and build, and that takes a foundation. And it might just seem like semantics, but I think I think finding that whole connotation around it is like, oh, we have to go to a lot of places. It's somewhere external. It's something that we have to try a lot of different um, things in our external environment. I think that's the key difference. Mm -hmm. Whereas creating or building, it's something that we have the tools already. And it's something that we already are innately able to do ourselves without all the externalities around us. Um, So I think just knowing that we already have these capabilities inside of us um, ensure we can use our environments and, external tools as just that tools but they're never going to they're never going to help us fully like recognize what we are who we are because that's something only we can do and only we can create ourselves
0: that's so true and I love that distinction because it is like always talked about in that way of like, you need to find yourself or as you get older, or these are the ways that you find yourself. And these are the things that don't allow you to do that. And there's always that narrative, but I agree. Like when you really think about it, you're not going to be walking through the woods one day and like find, you know, like who you are truly meant to be. And like, it's crazy because when we think about, yeah, what we think about our identities or even like celebrities and, and people who are known for a certain thing, like a singer wasn't born with that reputation. Like Mariah Carey wasn't like, yes, she had mm-hmm. natural talent, but like it was so much of a conscious choice and like showing up again and again and again and deciding this is who I'm going to be until I see it in front of me. And like that leap of exactly. faith is such a strong part of it. Um, So I love that. And I think that's like when we say that we want to find ourselves, I feel like that Immediately creates like that distance, like you were saying, like it becomes Mm -hmm. an actionable choice that we have to do when we're creating ourselves because it's like it's not going to happen unless I do it. Whereas when we say I'm going to find it, it seems like that ability, yeah, isn't within us, it's not something that we have control over, Mm -hmm. and that makes it just really intimidating for the average person,
1: right? And obviously, creating yourself and having that internal control is also intimidating in a way just because I don't think most of us are used to really having that amount of agency over our own lives. So it's truly a muscle that can be worked at and a skill that can be learned. And if we're able to hone into that growth mindset around it, that's when the magic happens.
0: Yes, 100%. That that ability to like how you phrased it, be a work in progress and be okay with that, like mm-hmm. constant working on yourself and valuing yourself while you're still improving yourself. Like that's such an important yeah. piece of the puzzle. Yeah. Um, so speaking of control and like your internal versus external control, you talk about, mm-hmm. um, Julian B. Rotter's idea of that. And I w I'm interested to hear your opinion on, do you think like if someone, cause she talks a bit more, talks about it more in like a fixed way, like someone either has an external locus of control or an internal locus. Mm-hmm. And do you think that we can switch from one to the other or prioritize or kind of shift our mindset from one side to the other side?
1: Mm. So this is obviously, obviously just my own opinion yeah, and 100%. experiences, not from any profi- professional psychology uh, background but I almost do think that we can switch a little bit I think it's almost an active choice that we can make whether we want to have an internal or external locus of control and I know oftentimes we frame and even in the book I almost frame internal as better but that's not necessarily always the case right like sometimes we don't want everything to be within in our control and that's the whole point like we know how to let go of things that aren't within our immediate control and we aren't able to control other people right so if we constantly have this internal locus i think that everything is within our responsibility and that's a really heavy burden to bear Uh, so so i do think that for some instances obviously our environments are so so important and just like you mentioned how a lot of coaches you know describe that maintaining your inner peace despite external circumstances and you know your internal environment is what matters versus your external environment I do subscribe to that for the most part, but I also want to emphasize the importance of choice architecture and how we architect our immediate environments around us. Just like we can choose our people, the place, the location, the weather, even so many of these external factors still have influences on us. And I don't think we can deny that. Um, So I think it's really this game of push and pull and balance and really understanding where we thrive and how we can really take our own choices and recognize and be aware where we are able to thrive the most within those environments. So that's not a great answer, I know, but I think it's really a balance of both. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, I think it's helpful even to know that, like, you have, like, I don't want to use the word control, but like you have some sense of like agency over how much you want to Mm -hmm. prioritize your external versus internal circumstances. And I think, yeah, looking at it from one way is the way that I am like that is just it's hard to be in that fixed state because then you feel like you can't, you know, choose when you want to be flexible. You feel like, Oh, I have to react this Mm -hmm. way. And then you give yourself permission to do that. Even when you know that you could choose better. Um, so yeah, I I think that definitely does, does shed some light on that. Um, but something else that I related to so much in your story was just the immigrant experience as a whole and like Mm -hmm. culture shock and going from a place where everyone, looks like you or is at least like just different and more homogenous to like a completely different type of homogenous society. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, like in my experience, you know, I, w- I was born in Kenya and so obviously people weren't all Indian, but like it was completely different living there versus living right. in suburban Texas. And, um, yeah. <laughs> So yeah, you you wrote a lot about that, and you also kind of talked about the pressure that we have to perform, and you also use this phrase, um, I think, in another interview of like internalized pressure. And so Mm -hmm. I wanted to see, you know, why, I guess, do you think that we put that pressure on ourselves, and do you think that you know, it's it's something that we can work out of, or do you think that that's almost like an expected feeling of all immigrants, no matter, you know, what time period or etc.
1: Mm-hmm. Wow, yeah. So I do think that society obviously, society, whatever society is, <laughs> like books, stories, family family, friends, what we see other people doing, films. All of that, I think, obviously plays a role in this external pressure. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And I talk about the idea of internalized pressure because that external pressure wasn't very close to me. Like, I think a lot of people might have... External pressure immediately. Wait, can you hear me?
0: Yeah.
1: Okay. Um, I think a lot of people might have external pressure much more from their immediate surroundings. For example, their parents um, mm-hmm. or very close family members. And I never had that. I I definitely had that pressure to perform, and I guess my parents. Well, they did always expect excellence, and it was just kind of a given that we would do well. And maybe that is the externalized pressure that I'm talking about here. But in terms of like where we're working or what we're doing in our lives and growing up and all of that, they never said like you have to be a doctor or an engineer or anything like that. We were expected to go to college, that was just a given. And that I guess going to a good college was also expected as well. So that's the extent of externalized pressure from my parents. Um, And I think that was the the biggest source of pressure for me as a half immigrant family. I never really know how to define myself in terms of uh, immigrant status. But so there's that. But once I went to college, it seemed like, that immediate pressure was gone and the externalized pressure was my friends, clubs, people at school, people I saw ahead of me. And I say internalized pressure because I kind of picked and chose what to internalize. Like I didn't decide to go after a career in public policy, for instance, even though a lot of amazing high-performing people were doing that at my school so i chose to see a lens of that corporate career the people in business or finance and technology because that was the lens i internalized i guess so in a way there's this buffet of all these things and i chose which pressures to fall under so In that way, I almost think, I don't think I knew it at the time that I was choosing that. It just kind of seemed like I was going along with whatever other people did. Um, But now looking back, I do think that I obviously chose pretty strategically like how I was going about my classes and clubs and who I was surrounding myself with And once I made those choices, the bubbles got a lot smaller and suddenly like everything I was doing seemed to be under those bubbles and under those pressures.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense. Like it's almost like there is this pressure regardless, but then you can choose the scope. Like we limit our possibilities into like, it can look like these choices, but look, I have yes. options. <laughs> and then like from there, you kind of just, just narrow it down and kind of get sucked into like a certain
1: funnel. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. obviously we all have options all the time.
0: Mm-hmm. But
1: then once we narrow down that scope, like you said, it's it seems like we have that agency t- taken away from us when that's not the case.
0: 100%. Yeah, I did a similar thing when I joined my college like I assumed that like I knew that I loved psychology I knew that I loved like potentially clinical work was interesting to me but I started out as like mm-hmm. a neuroscience major because I was like that's the only mm-hmm. way that I can do this field and still be taken seriously and it's like why like right it doesn't make any sense
1: yeah but at that time I mean you also don't know what you don't know right so you're seeing these paths and you're connecting the dots and I'm sure like our scope is just so limited at that time too. And it just takes so much energy and activation on our end to really widen our scope. So mm-hmm. that's just a lot of the work that I'm trying to do still just continuing to learn and grow each day to be able to just see how really like big and endless the world is out there.
0: Yes. Oh, love it. So do you feel like it was your immigrant status that really contributed to internalized pressure? Or do you think that there were other factors that were kind of pushing you towards that direction?
1: I think it had a large part to do with it, especially moving to the States when I was 10 and that really flipped the financial status of our family. Mm -hmm. So Suddenly we were low income and I did internalize a lot of pressure to change that about our family. Mm -hmm. And again, Mm -hmm. my parents never placed that pressure upon us. Um, But as a child, I think I recognized that I could do something about it. And so I chose to kind of limit my scope in a way to make financial security my top value when making decisions as I was getting older. Mm -hmm. So I do think that's largely because of my low income slash because immigrant status. Uh, So other factors, I mean, could have included... be like where I grew up, or the people I was surrounding myself with. Um, but I do think those two were the largest factors, and obviously they're intertwined. So maybe it's just one. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, definitely that that has such a big role because um, I face similar kind of issues like with with my parents and growing up, and then also for me, like academia was a big part of it, like just how competitive it was in high school and college. And like you write about, you know, everything, every phase in life has a purpose or a next step. And so, you know, exactly what you're aiming for, even if you don't know what that looks Mm -hmm. like or what that means for your life. And so it's constantly just beating each other out and competing to be the best. And then, you know, having to have what the best is defined for you (laughs) by your culture, even in a school setting or in, you know just in general so yeah it, it gets exactly so intertwined <laughs> but um
1: yeah
0: oh go ahead were you going to say something
1: oh I guess just right like each culture right even a school can be a culture and a classroom can be a culture And I think that's such an excellent point because I think now I'm trying to decide what cultures am I trying to create and surround myself with and how can I make those values not what they were in the past and like this really competitive, uh, like fixed mindset atmosphere? So, yeah, all of those are just lessons I think to take with us and to see like what we want to do now and what don't we want our world to look like.
0: A hundred percent. And I think it's just as valuable to learn what you don't want personally, as well as like you said, in a culture or in a greater dynamic than it is as it is to know what you do want, you know, it it's so, mm-hmm. and one feeds into the other, like you're not going to go towards the things oh, that you yeah. want to avoid. And so because of that, your path slowly starts forming and taking more structure as you go and things just start mm-hmm. making sense.
1: Right. Yeah. And so much of that takes incredible self-awareness because oftentimes we like what's familiar, right? Like we we tend to stay in our comfort zones and not push ourselves and it really is uncomfortable to introduce new things and go into the unknown. So that's something I was noticing like I think part of my college experience was yes having that self awareness of being dissatisfied with the status quo but not having enough to actually get out of my comfort zone and get out of that hyper competitive atmosphere that i was so used to to feeling mm-hmm. so again with that whole action and alignment piece so true
0: i like hated my school and i remember sometimes being like should i transfer but then i was like i would never like why would i ever like leave I don't know, it just like didn't compute. And now it's like, obviously, yeah. I'm continuing to make these choices. But it's just funny how <laughs> we like, put blinders on.
1: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um. So about kind of the immigrant piece two immigrants that are in this position of facing a lot of internalized pressure or feeling like, you know, with the blinders, like they just aren't able to see the options in front of them, because they feel like they have to go a certain path, or they have to achieve Mm -hmm. certain things, what would you say to someone who's facing that pressure?
1: Mm. I think the biggest thing would be to get out of that all or nothing mindset. We don't have to, and I know it's ironic coming from me, who just quit their job and (laughs) really went to all or nothing. (laughs) But I, I really do think that it doesn't have to be like that. It doesn't have to be completely all or nothing. Um, and in a way, I think I have demonstrated that by, I did work and I I worked in a very corporate atmosphere. I made a lot of money. And because of that, I was able to fund six months of travel and fund my lifestyle currently and beyond. And that takes compromise. And I was willing obviously, to work um, for that amount of time, even though it wasn't something that I would probably continue doing long term. Mm -hmm. So coming from that low income immigrant status background, I know how important it is to secure the bag first to Mm -hmm. be in a somewhat stable financial situation. I'm not going to tell anybody to be irresponsible with that um like you know yourself best and you know your situation best and that's something that I obviously very much respect because I came from that that background and knowing that with that said again getting out of that all or nothing don't feel the need to completely surrender all of your dreams just because you might be in a full-time position that you're not super interested in now or a part-time position or whatever it is. Um, I think so many of us, myself included, when I started working full-time, I kind of gave little parts of myself up and didn't fully allow myself to embrace different hobbies or side projects or interest in that way. And I know firsthand how hard it is to really keep those things up when you're in a demanding position, but even even an hour a week can do wonders if you are able to stay focused and really keep your keep your motivation up and just kind of see see it as a process and not like a means to an end mm-hmm. so I really do think that that i understand the pressure is real and it doesn't have to be completely quit and be free and whatsoever um or it doesn't have to be like on the other side of the spectrum so really i think it's all about balance and finding what works for you and just like keep on trying and keep on asking yourself those tough questions to be able to build that awareness and follow up with the action from that awareness. Um, Yeah. So just keep changing, keep growing, keep trying things, keep experimenting until you get closer to what it is that you want.
0: Mm -hmm. I love that. It's, that's such a good answer, especially with, you know, when you're first like looking to escape the nine to five or you're like, I hate my job. Like a lot of it starts with those thoughts. Sorry. Can you hear me? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, Yeah. A lot of it starts with those thoughts, but then as you start looking at like travel photos, or then you start looking at travel blogs and then you maybe come across an ad that says like something about being an entrepreneur or leaving. And so like, I feel like so much of that cultural conversation about leaving the nine to five is also about like, do I want to be an influencer? Do I want to be this kind of blogger or YouTuber Mm -hmm. or whatever? And it's like, exactly like you said, you don't have to leave that job or even leave that entire career path if there is some semblance of interest in it or or it's not completely draining mm-hmm. you like that's not the only thing that you can do you know like those small actions or right. finding things that are just for yourself and sometimes even decoupling like the idea of success with that one position so maybe like exactly yeah like you don't hate that job more than like life you know so you're willing to like go back and, and it's not the end of the world but maybe like, your interests and where you find yourself and where you want to see yourself grow, all of that is in a completely different bucket than how well you're doing at this job, you know, and Mm -hmm. there's such a, like, that marriage between, like, performance and career and status and all of that, like, it, it gets so intertwined, but it's up to you if you want to decide if you want to keep those things intertwined or not, you know?
1: Yeah, that's so, so true, and this kind of goes back to, I guess, internal and external loci control. And I'm a firm believer of learning how to love your job or love your external circumstances, no matter where you are. Obviously, this has caveats. um, And you don't want to be in like a super toxic environment. But let's say but I'm going to use my own example, right? Like I chose, I actively chose to be in a full-time position. Nobody forced me to. And that was my choice. And a lot of people, I think a lot of people who are in my position, myself included, had a lot of complaints all the time. and we were constantly complaining about our jobs and how it sucked and blah, blah, blah. And I really hated that, that negative mentality. And once I started noticing that, I'm like, why are we doing this? And like, we all actively chose to be here. Like nobody is forcing us to work in this exact place. Like we have options and we chose to be here. And why am I going to spend my time complaining about this? Uh, It doesn't help anyone, right? So once I kind of realized that, I decided that I wasn't going to complain anymore unless like I was making active steps to change it. So that light bulb kind of switched, I don't know, probably several months into my last job. And I sure the hard days are still hard, but I was able to be so much more grateful for where I was. And day to day I was just, such a more pleasant human being because I was able to see the the good parts and not be just wallowing in despair the entire time for no reason really because I was able to say like I get to be here instead so like I have to be here and so much of any context job or not is all about that and being able to to be thankful for where we are and what we have and not complain and not take action about it. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah so to kind of follow that up like if you are in that position of being grateful for where you are then how do you know if like what can help you make the decision to leave you know Mm -hmm. like Cause I feel like sometimes we get in that self-indulgent phase or that phase where we're just like, I, I can, I just need to be more grateful. And you kind of push your own desires aside. So how do you know when you're yeah. repressing versus just changing your mentality?
1: Yeah, <laughs> that takes, <laughs> I think, a strong level of self-awareness that I did not have for a very long time um, because yeah, so much of us or so much of the narrative is like, oh, just be grateful, just be grateful, just be grateful. Like, I start my book with that, like making gratitude list after gratitude list. So I do think that, what's that quote? I'm trying to think of it now. It's like, don't make a decision when you're high off emotion or something like that. Or or it's like, never quit on a bad day. Maybe Mm -hmm. that's, that's okay. Yeah. So I think that very much is true. In this context, like we don't want to make decisions when it's really, really bad. I think we want to make decisions when we are able to kind of take a step above Mm. the immediate situation and our context and make a decision just because we want to. Like we don't have to do anything out of obligation or because we're pushed into something, I think that really takes that element of control out of it um but if we are able to take that step and really look at it from above and say objectively more so out of any really strong emotional attachment or detachment um then we're able to let's say like quit with more like a, it's a cleaner quit like you're able to to say Oh, I don't want to do this because I don't want to do this. Like everything is fine. I don't hate it, but I'm able to quit just because I want to do something else more. Mm -hmm. Like you're not being driven to do something because that's. I I think that can build resentment, and that will stick with you wherever you go. Mm -hmm. So you're kind of just pulling that baggage along with you if you weren't able to have a more objective, clear head around it.
0: Mm-hmm. So maybe even asking yourself, like, am I making these decisions out of fear or am I making them out of, like, a place of just being level-headed and just, yeah, claiming that choice that you Exactly.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So out of fear, out of desperation, I, we don't want to be making decisions out of these these emotions. And it's funny because I know how... Emotions are very, very important, but they're just part of the data. It's not like what you want to completely immerse yourself in. And if you're able to use those emotions as data points, you can kind of pull yourself out of it and like you said, not make any life-altering decisions uh, based on those those feelings of, of fear and desperation. mm-hm.
0: Love that, um so also speaking about kind of regaining composure and not letting emotions get the best of you, you talk a lot about your mindfulness journey um, during this process, and how did you how did your perspective on mindfulness like and the uh, the whole process of leaving the corporate world feed into one another?
1: Mm. so like i've mentioned mindfulness was something in meditation i came across now almost six years ago it was it started in college early on in college and so it it was a practice that i've had with me throughout college and making these decisions and my corporate job so obviously it's been off and on and i think during busy periods i definitely wasn't meditating or journaling as much um but i do think it comes back to that piece of alignment like i can have all the self awareness in the world and still be doing actions in reality aren't aligned with that self awareness so for me now i try to align my actions decisions values and awareness and constantly reflect on those pieces to make sure that they actually are aligned um and i guess that's the switch in perspective before i was like oh mindfulness is great like i do it because i want to calm down or like decrease stress or and those things are all good but i think it was more so it was more so like a means to an end for me before. And that's so ironic because that's like the exact opposite of what mindfulness and meditation is what it's supposed to be about. But I do think that's a lot of the, like the, not the corporate mindfulness, but the like maybe patronized or capitalized or commodified mindfulness. Like we, we go on an app to get 10 minutes of a break or something like that. Whereas, true practice of meditation is all the time right it's it's all the time that we want to be able to lean into the breath or that that level of awareness of what we're doing and that was the change in perspective I think because I was finally able to kind of bring that aspect into the decisions I was making in real time and not just see mindfulness as a, as that means to something I was doing to feel better about myself. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, I love that. I think that with mindfulness, there's like two kind of main ways that people think about it. And one is like an all or nothing way. And the other one is just um, feeling like you yeah, like compartmentalizing it, I guess is like the right way to say it, like having it exist in this little box. And then the other one is like, if I don't meditate for one day, like this is, you know, and like you put that pressure on yourself and it's like, well, that's actively engaging in like the emotions that meditation and mindfulness want to separate you from. Like, Mm -hmm. not that there's negative emotions, but more just like that kind of harsh mindset about yourself. Um, So yeah, I, I think that's so interesting. Do you think that like your corporate journey leaving would have been the same if you didn't have that role of mindfulness throughout?
1: I don't know if I would have come to this conclusion so quickly because mm. I, I came to it within a year. That's very, very quick. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I can't say for sure, but I would probably have stayed for a longer period of time had i not been practicing self awareness and maybe if i even had a more stringent or higher level of practice i would have come to it even sooner who knows um, but i do think i do think that it did play a very key role in just i mean my entire life of decisions in terms of relationships or friendships or family or work is just a small part of it. Um, Yeah, so definitely something that is really core to who I am and my journey thus far.
0: That's awesome.
1: Um, So in terms
0: of like giving – tangible exercises or any sort of actions that our audience can take, do you have any kind of go-to practices that you use to deal with either internalized pressure or kind of opening up and creating yourself?
1: Mm. My number one is journaling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I process the world through writing and writing in a physical notebook and that's something that i've been doing since i was like four years old so that's just a practice that i have really come to to go to and this might look different for other people but i would really encourage just just trying to get to know yourself through the written word um, maybe maybe writing isn't your thing but maybe you can like do voice recordings or something else else but I think being able to look back on it is a really important piece and and that process of just reflecting on your thoughts and emotions and decisions and conversations and how that may how anything makes you feel um, I think that practice is only going to compound on one another and once you are able to had that foundation, at least for me, I've been able to see such a clear trajectory of self-awareness and growing in that way. Um, So yeah, journaling with, I think journaling with intent also, like not intent like a means to an end, but intent meaning answering questions or having some sort of some sort of deeper questioning within yourself. I'm all for free writing as well. I think that has its time and its place, but also just being able to ask yourself questions and answering them in real time on the page, I think is such an important practice. Um, Because so many people, I think for myself included, before I was just scared of answering these questions or even asking them and actively creating space to be brave is so, so important because I think that's what we are constantly distracted from. Like, we are not, if we don't actively make time for that, we're not going to do it Mm -hmm. because there's always going to be something shinier to do.
0: Oh, yeah, totally. Like, wanting to sit down and, like, face your deepest fears on paper is not, like, everyone's (laughs) best, like, definition of, like, you know, their funnest day, I guess. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you want to be distracted, you're going to find a way to distract yourself. But at the end of the day, like the yeah, there's so much that you can learn. Like the thing that I love about journaling is like your idea always, I mean, your mind has all these ideas floating around, whether like, should I, shouldn't I like, and et cetera, mm-hmm. like it, the list is endless. But then when you do, like you said, kind of take that intentionality and put it to paper and say like, here's one question I have, or maybe it's like one possibility or one choice you could make and just mm-hmm. writing on that, like it almost takes it out of your mind. And like, it's like the tiniest little birth of that idea into the actual universe on like a tangible piece yeah. of paper. And then from there you can take real steps and then eventually, you know, your life could encompass that thing that you've been dreaming of. But I love that kind of slow integration because it's like, no one's going to see it. No one's going to, I mean, mm-hmm. hopefully, <laughs> hopefully yeah. it'll be private. But um yeah, I mean, just having that space to yourself to explore it's like not so permanent
1: Hmm. yeah and it's that just like you said it's that very first baby step of alignment i think and even almost mindfulness in a way because you're forced to put one thought down on the page mm-hmm. in that second or in that moment sure you can have a page of all like whole scattered thoughts but at least in that second you have to recognize one thought and put it down. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that level just takes you to, it It aligns and connects like that thought to the page and just brings that into reality, however small or however tiny it is. Mm -hmm.
0: Do you have like a prompt or a question that like our audience could start with if they just have no idea where to begin?
1: So what i do for at least my daily reflection it's super super easy um so i do positives of the day negatives of the day and then things i want to change Hmm. um and this framework uh there's one person who wrote about it and called it the plus minus next framework um her name's Anne Lauren LeComp. Uh, and yeah, if you just look up like plus minus next framework, it's super easy. You don't have to look it up. It's so, yeah. so easy. Say yeah. like plus minus next. And I think this is just a tiny, tiny way of being able to build that self reflection. And obviously, we can build off of that. Um, but even if you just start there, you'll be able to see like what brings me joy, what drains my energy. And like, what might I want to change tomorrow and really bring it down to those, those tangible action pieces.
0: Oh, I love that. Especially because like, you're bringing it down to a daily level instead of like, what do I want to change about my life? Like you talk about in the book, you're like, leaving your job is a huge decision. Like doing so overwhelming. Right. Yeah. And so to break it down into like, this is what I could do tomorrow. That's different from today. That would make tomorrow a little bit easier or simpler. That makes it so much easier to be like, okay, I can do this. Like this is in my scope of possibility.
1: Yeah. And over time, if you see something constantly being on that minus level, maybe maybe we should do something to change it
0: (laughs) exactly and then that also kind of gives you like you said that data to look back on like if you're in that emotional state where things feel like a wreck you can look through those days that you have and say like okay these are all the days that this was a bad thing like maybe yeah there Mm -hmm. is more to it
1: yep and then you can also look at what were your pluses and try to implement more of that in your life as well maybe
0: I don't know. I feel like this is such a broad question. So I'm trying to narrow it down, but like, how has mm-hmm. this journey helped you like kind of redefine how you see your value or how you see your worth?
1: Ooh, bringing it back to the self-worth I see. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay. So much of it is about worth because in the past up until this point this turning point i guess almost everything i did was to try and be better or try and be good enough and that came from a place of never feeling good enough and never having that worth bucket filled I guess because they're constant and I in that mindset you're never gonna have it filled because there's constantly that next step like once you achieve something there's always that next step always that next thing and that ladder so to speak right so that was just a lose-lose system for everyone (laughs) involved and I think once I quit and really got rid of everything and any external judgments and any rulers and measurements of success and I really had to recreate those what I realized and what obviously we realized all along is that we are enough inherently and there is nothing we can do or say or act to change that and I obviously think worth is so much of the equation of everything and like it's so important but I now almost don't even don't even think about it like it's not really a thing anymore because Mm -hmm. it's not not like it's not important but because nothing I can do will change it
0: Mm -hmm.
1: so it's not really a variable anymore in my day-to-day actions or decisions or frameworks on an ideal day obviously I have Mm -hmm. a lot of work to do and it's a work in progress still but at my best and at what I know to be true that cannot change Mm so that is something that I'm not the the more we are able to to embody that we simply are enough worth whatever like there's nothing we can do to change that Mm -hmm. Uh, the more we don't even have to think about worth or or even give it really the time of day because it's just constantly there it's it's just a never changing entity that we don't even have control over so that's how I see it now
0: I love that. I love that because it just kind of points to the fact that like that liberation is possible. Like so many people, we're doing all these things without thinking about it. But a lot of what we're uh, trying to achieve from those actions is to achieve that sense of worth. And again, like you said, when you take that layer off, it's like, whoa, I have choices. I have options. I can do what I want. And it's not going to ultimately, you know, change how I'm seen in other people's eyes or at least not to an extent that it's actually gonna affect how you feel about yourself and how you value yourself. And when you have that piece in place, it's like everything else becomes so much more trivial. It's just like, well, it like it's not attached to these strings of who you are and who you're meant to be and who you should be and how you're gonna make people happy. Like all of that just vanishes. And like I feel like that's where true freedom really starts.
1: Yes. And that is such a journey and process and you are not able to do that. At least I wasn't able to do that and get to that point until I really unpacked and untangled all of these aspects that were going into that self-worth and expectations and pressures and all of that. So that really, I think, was the journey of the past year, very concentrated. Obviously, there was more levels before that. um, But because I was willing to do that I'm able to to kind of let go of that piece now and mm-hmm. at least live more into that freedom.
0: Oh, love it. Oh my gosh, so many good things in this conversation. <laughs> I'm gonna be Yay. thinking about this for a while. Um so Yeah, where, me too. Yeah. Where can people find this book?
1: So it is pretty much anywhere you buy books, Amazon, Barnes and Noble. Uh now it's on IndieBound, so that's exciting. Um, so if you just search reclaiming control uh, it should be top searches reclaiming control book search amy mcmillan uh it's all there
0: (laughs) awesome yeah i will link uh i leave the link obviously in the show notes for the book and then um where can people find you and what are like can people kind of follow along with where you are on your journey now
1: Yeah, definitely. So I'm not super active on Instagram, but please DM me on Instagram uh, if you have any questions or just want to chat and say hi on Instagram and Twitter. I am at Amy McMai, Amy M-C-M-A-I. And I also write um, on my newsletter periodically as well, which is digwell.substack.com.
0: Wonderful. Awesome. Well, thank you so, so much for joining me.
1: This was such a good conversation and I loved that book. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so, so much, Roshni. Uh Yeah. It's been so much fun. Thank you for asking so many great questions and leveling off that self-awareness piece for me as well.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Oh, Well, thank you again. Um, like I said, I will leave the links to all of Amy's info in the show notes below and I will catch you guys next week if you enjoyed this podcast consider leaving a review on the apple podcast app or sharing it with someone who you think would benefit from it if you're interested in leveling up your self-worth or finding the limiting beliefs that are holding you back i currently have one-on-one sessions open through the rest of october and november if you want to learn more about the one-on-one services i offer or about my self-paced online course on how to trust yourself visit the show notes below for more details and to sign up. Thank you as always for listening and happy healing.